Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. Things are starting to look up. I've had about seven consecutive emails today of people starting to get back to work. I think some of the vaccines are starting to kick in and people are gaining confidence. They're starting to return to small gatherings. No, no arenas or stadiums yet. And yet there's still, I'm still getting emails from people that, you know, Hey, I can't take uh, anymore. I can't sit at home anymore. I got to do something. What can I do? And a lot of us have these skills that we can utilize, not just in the entertainment world, not just in the gathering industry. There are so many things that we can do. We have those of us that have gone to school. We have all the design theory behind us. Those of us that haven't gone to school have learned it the hard way. We've gone through all the hard knocks. We've learned what works and what doesn't. And we just have a wealth of information and software available to us that we've been able to adapt. We have skills that that, care, that cross over into other aspects of lighting. So today I want to talk to another person who can kind of help us brave these waters of kind of just venturing out, taking a sidestep from live theater and apply our skills to things like architecture. And so today I've invited a, a new friend of mine. His name is Paul Boken. He is the vice president at Mulvey and Banani Lighting out of Toronto. Thank you so much for joining me, Paul. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. It's good to be on the, on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you offering your assistance. So what happened was I did another podcast recently with another designer out of Toronto, and it was it was wonderful. Deborah was great, and we thought that maybe uh, this would be a good way to kind of expand on some of the things that some of my listeners have had questions about. A lot of people really enjoyed her podcast, but they had they had further questions about, well, hey, do architectural designers use Unreal Engine? Do they do three D previs? And so uh, Paul is very gracious to have reached out to and responded, says, hey, I have answers to some of these questions. Paul, uh, if you can answer some of these with me, I'd really appreciate it. And the reason I reached out to you is because you have a, a background in theater design. Yeah. Yeah, I do. So so I started, uh, graduated from Ryerson Theater School with a major in technical production, specializing in, in lighting design, um, which which... And then, you know, did that for a, a number of years professionally. I kind of, it's like, it's like anything in theater. I started in high school theater, kind of grew that. And then it was almost like by the time I had uh, finished my theater degree, you know, I'd already been working professionally doing gigs and I was almost like, it was like ready for a change right at when I graduated. It's like, oh, cool. This was great. I feel like I had already had a career. So it was, I was looking for something uh, to, for some sort of change. But yeah, no, I started in, in theater. And I still, still like that's where my heart is for sure in a lot of ways. And that's why I listened to your podcast, actually. So, I, so in this case, I actually reached out to you, which is funny because I listened to the podcast. I just like hearing what's going on in the industry. Uh, I mean, especially now because of what's going on with COVID, obviously. I'm just interested to hear what my other, because I have a lot of friends who are still touring or in the industry. And it's like, I just want to know what's happening, right? See what people are keeping busy with. So I've been listening to the podcast quite a bit. It's a good. It's a great podcast. It's just really Thank conversational, you. like you said. So it's kind of cool just to hear people, you know, talk un, unrehearsed, I guess. Just it's great. And I love I love the similarities between lighting folks, I suppose, as well. Like, you know, you're listening to so-and-so talk. I feel like ADD comes up a lot. <laughs> it does. It does. I had no idea it was so rampant. You know, I think, I think it's a requirement at this point. I, I think there's a lot of undiagnosed ADD. ADD yeah. and ADHD people in our industry. Oh, you've uncovered something, man. You should, you should, you should, you should, 
<laughs> write a specialist and be like, you know, just like spread this, this new discovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it ticks all the boxes for us. We like to stay up late. We like yeah. to have multiple projects all at once. We yeah. like to, uh, we're just like little butterflies going, bouncing from show to show to gig to gig. It, it, it suits us well. Yeah. No. Yeah. We work, we work best when there's like a thousand things coming at us or something from a, mm -hmm. any different angles. That's when like the engines warmed up and you're working at, you know, full speed. Yeah. Which, which like I was saying, like, it's tough to hear, you know, it's, it's, so it isn't also interesting to hear all the different lighting designers and professionals and kind of what they're doing with their spare time uh, during this. I really love the guy that had like the plane in his house. Like, a yeah, Ian doing light yeah shows. kids on the street and i was like uh man if that if if i had slowed down as much uh, that's what i'd be doing I'd have a, <laughs> yeah all, all the samples from the office would be set up at the house and yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah ian hoffer he's a, he was a that was a fun one he's a, he's a mad scientist for sure totally yeah uh, yeah so so it is it is something i keep keep i love and, and we keep it in our work now like we, we use I would say like the technologies, how we think about light as a company probably as well, um, is very theatrical myself, like two, we have, I've convert, I, I use the word converted, I guess, uh, but I've like three people, well, three, you know, one, my, one of my senior, most senior staff helps manage the company. He's from theater and then another gentleman, Joseph, he's one of our senior designers. He's from theater. So. Uh, and then another one of our team members from film. So, and then the rest, the rest are kind of architecture, interior design. You know, some do have formal education in architectural lighting design and have masters. You know, there's a couple of programs in the States that offer masters in architectural lighting design. And in Germany, one of our team members has uh, education. We have a couple of team members from overseas. So, so it's interesting, but I guess the, the point of that is, is that mo everybody comes from like the majority of people on my team come from a background that is not say architectural lighting design, you know? So when you talk about transferable skills and someone comes from theater, it's like, whew, that's, that's actually like the best training ground probably for a transition into this field. Because, you know, if you think of coming from architecture or interiors, you, you know, like there's a certain amount that comes with that. But I think like, if you have a fundamental understanding of space and, finishes and how people work and move through space that's a huge asset but if you like understand light and have like messed around with light as much as you typically do in theater experimented with lights you know really studied just like the source and the effect so so carefully as we do in theater because that's all we're and, and entertainment that's all we're thinking about right it's like source and effect you're not necessarily thinking about all the other confines in in theater which is like you know or, or in architecture which is like the ceiling where it can go, what are the finishes, what's the color of the, you know, sort of it, just like all those other variables. Um, maybe you can learn those, but I feel like it's nice to have a theatrical background. So there's no, you know, you're no more, no less qualified coming into this industry from theater. That's for sure. Yeah. There's far more similarities than there are differences. The impact that we're looking for is the same. It's just the logistics of how we get there. That's, that's very different between the two. So let me ask you a question that kind of pertains to that. When you see somebody that you want air quotes convert, yeah. what what is the spark that you see? Like, what did you see in some of your convertees? You said, "Hey, you got to come try my side of the industry." Yeah, I mean, for, I mean, first off, the obvious one is it's like a want to. So I, for for some reason, I think you do want to have to. Yeah, you got to have a good reason to, because it is quite a deviation. It's a lot of work to train yourself like a new, a new style of lighting. Right. And, 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 you know, I think, you know, the fact that we work the way we work with light, the, the, like I said, the issues we have when you're putting a permanent light in the building with regards to where it, all the limitations, I would say, and all the product, you know, all the products in the market, it's a different world. So I think you really got to have a want for it and the passion to, to make a change. For me, the, the, the passion to make a change was I like the permanence aspect of it. Um, yeah. You know? something about that was cool. And, and the purpose, like actually when I started taking, so I was going to Ryerson theater school and I didn't want to take costume and uh, props, you know, like you have to get electives to get your degree. So I, I was looking at some of the electives I had left to get 
and they weren't, I just was thinking, well, I'm not going to do that. So why would I, why would I do that? So I started looking at the continuing education they had there and they had some courses in architectural light and design, but it was super technical. It wasn't very conceptual like theater, but it, what really caught me was when we did like an energy management course and they were talking about lighting retrofits. And I love this, uh, there was something cool about like you're actually you know using light to save money to you know like to create a greener planet you know and I was like that's so practical, whereas theater and live entertainment did was missing that aspect of it. But I mean I, I, now I have a better understanding and I understand the practicality obviously of entertainment in society. So um, I don't really think that way anymore. But I think it, at that time it was like oh this is cool this is it and yeah and I was like all in. So I think you know, the all in aspect is what we're looking for, right? It's like, it's, it's a big change and, and it's a lot of effort to train someone, you know, it takes mm -hmm. years, right? Cause you're not doing it in school. You're doing it on the job and you're, you're slowly giving them more responsibility. And it's like, it's a, it's a big effort. So I think if you have the will to do it and you're willing to say, you know, like I've done this, I've been in this career, I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. I want to explore light in a different way, make a switch. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the kind of thing we're looking for more than a skill set. Okay. Yeah. So if somebody comes to you, what is the, what are the certain things you're looking for? Are you looking for that, that passion to switch over? Or do you think it's a, is it just a lifestyle change that interests people most? Yeah, I think that, I mean, lifestyle change is really interesting to me too. Like I know when I was doing in my last year of theater, like one of the things that really made me want to make a change was that just this idea of, you know, I remember going to, I can't remember the name of the lighting designer right now, but pretty prominent lighting designer. I did like a little work study thing or a little like interview with him. It was a class exercise to like go, you know, we went over to his house and I interviewed him and he would be like the pinnacle. He had a really good position, uh, like almost like full-time lighting design to some degree. And he said, if you ever want a mortgage, you know, get out of this industry <laughs> or something like if you ever want to like this idea that it was so in flux. And, and I think, yeah, that, that is, for me, I was like, at that point, I, I thought, that's fine. I don't need a house and all that shit. Like, I would just want to do lighting, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but, but I think, you know, that's also an okay to switch. Like, it is fine to, if you want a more steady lifestyle, say, I mean, architectural lighting, although it's like architecture, the hours are nuts, right? They can be nuts. Like, it's, right. not, it's not a nine to five job. I mean, there's no way. Um, we work hard, especially if you're doing cool, cool stuff, you know, if you're, if you're like trying to be, if you're leading edge, you know, and you're doing stuff on projects that hasn't been done before, they're larger projects, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. So, so it's long hours, but, but it is a steady paycheck. Like, it's like, you know, like I, you know, there, there is this idea that, which, which at first blew my mind that like, I know how much money is going to go into my account every two weeks down to the penny, you know, and if like something changes and it's like, oh my God, what happened? You know, like what, you know, it's like, you know, like, it, you know, it's certain, you know, you, you just, there's this permanence to the income, which is kind of nice. Now, nothing's permanent, but it is a full-time job in lighting design. Mm -hmm. and you are using that creative side of your brain a lot and you're using the technical side. So it is very fulfilling. Like for me, it's a hundred percent fulfilling. It wasn't like a sellout thing. Like it, I, I love it, still love it. I love it as much as theater. I mean, do I miss a bit of the theater aspect for sure? like the, you know, just the live show aspect. And I did it, I did both for a, a few years. So like, just like did my odd, an odd gig on the side kind of thing, just to keep, keep in touch with it. But I, honestly, the transition happened and I don't miss it. I don't, I don't miss it. Like I long for it. I look back and think, ah, oh, it was cool. Like that, that I, I get the feeling of putting on a live show. You know, I can experience it vicariously, I guess you could say. And I can appreciate it when I watch a live show, but, but I don't, I definitely don't look back. Um, like it's like, it's, uh, this big sacrifice. I don't even know what, what the question was that started on that train. But. <laughs> no, you did. You answered that very well. In fact, I kind of wanted to touch on one of the things you mentioned earlier too, the, the permanence and hopefully yeah. I can expand and maybe you can back me up on this one, but of the few architectural designs that I've done, I get the same feeling from finishing a show and somebody came up, comes up and they're like, Hey man, that was a great show. The few architectural designs I've done, I get that same feeling even four years later when people still come in like, Hey, I hear you designed this room that I was at the other night and it's amazing. Yeah. 
I love that feeling to know that something I designed or some decisions that I made four years ago are still relevant today. And that, that must be a great feeling. Yeah. No, it is, especially with significant structures. Like we've done some large bridges and and things like we did the Prince Edward Viaduct in Toronto, which, you know, every time I drive under it, it goes, it, you know, I see it and it's animated. It's a really cool lighting scheme that's like connected to um, weather sensors, you know, so throughout the year it changes the colors scheme, so to speak, changes throughout the seasons. So the palette it pulls from and it uses like a basically a fluid dynamics model, which was custom built um, by like a programmer sub consultant we built and all guided by an artist and, and it changed like it, it, it it changes based on like wind speed and temperature and it's always different. So there is something cool about like, yeah, every time I see that it, it blows my mind. Uh, and I think I get that feeling. And, and even uh, five years ago now we uh, relit Niagara Falls with a, with a big team. And that was, you know, that, that's kind of, that, that, I love that kind of project because it reminds me of theater a lot because it's, it, that was like a design build. So you're, you're on the same team as the constructor like a lot of the time in our work, we design something, it goes out for bid, and it's all about holding the contract documents. So it's not as collaborative in a way. You're kind of holding a line, and the contractor is, is rightfully so trying to suck as much profit out of it as possible. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a, that's, that's the name of the game, right? Mm -hmm. You're trying to complete your design, but they're trying to do it in a cost-efficient way so they can increase profits. It's a business. Um, whereas the design build on some of these other projects, um, which is actually the way some of these lighting installations are going, you bring on the contractor during design. Uh, that's what we did in the falls and we actually bid it together. So we were working with them like hand in hand on what these brackets would be. Oh no, that's over the budget we carried. Okay. We're designing it differently. And, and so that project was really rewarding in that way. But yeah, sure. Like if I ever go, you know, I, I'm almost afraid to go cause I hate kind of looking at our work afterwards. I don't know why. So just, <laughs> Like it took me a year to go there after we finished it. It was like we finished it, we saw it lit up. I'm like, man, I wish it was this. I wish it was brighter. I wish it was, you know. And then I left. I'm, I'm never going back to fucking Niagara Falls. I'm never going back to Niagara. Falls. Can we swear on this podcast? Yeah, you can. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah. But I was like, I can't go back, so I wouldn't go back uh, for the longest time. And then I went back. We got a, you know, room looking overlooking the falls, and I was like, whole. I just looked at it the whole night. I'm like, this is cool. You know, so yeah, they're, they're, even though it's permanent, the timelines are longer. It still has the same feeling. That's what I mean. It's equally as gratifying, hundred percent. Oh, I share that with you. I am. Uh, I feel both feelings simultaneously when I look at my own work from years ago. You love it, and it doesn't matter how many times you've thought it over. You know, a year later, you're like, oh my god, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Yeah. It's so. We, we can get lost beating ourselves up over that. Oh, yeah. And it's permanent, man. So it's like it's there. Like a lot of the work we've done in the city of Toronto, for sure. It's like my second home. And, I, you know, like there's streets I won't drive down. Like, honestly, <laughs> like I, there are areas of the city I will not go because I, like we lit a lobby and there's a code detail that's not right. And it, it, it cannot be fixed. It's not practical to fix it. It's good. It's fine. People aren't seeing the issue necessarily, right? And, of course, it's going to cost thousands to fix it so you know the owner's like no it's fine not fixing that you know what i mean so you know it's it, it, and you know you know and quite frankly you're probably not going to bring up a flaw if you see it in uh -huh. it's acceptable <laughs> so, so you know it's just like yeah there's definite it's, it's interesting yeah for sure the only person who's upset about it is probably you yeah and they're not going to spend a thousand dollars or tens of thousands to make you happy they're not so that i out so that I'll use that way to, yeah, when I'm going downtown, I won't have to avoid that street. I'm sorry. I just can't visit that building again. I just hope it's not like a service Ontario where you just can't yeah. go in there. You're like, I, I'm sorry. I can never go in there again. Well, imagine like, yeah, imagine you, you fuck, you, you know, you're on stage, you screwed up this queue and, and like, yeah. oh damn. And you had to walk, but that queue is permanent. Like that, it's always there. <laughs> just every time you look at that building or that thing, or even Niagara Falls, you see that. Oh yeah. Maybe that's me. Yeah. But. So one of the things I think that we really need to talk about is the amount of forethought that goes into this. So you were talking about the bridge that uh, adjusts based on weather patterns and everything. That's the sort of thing that we have to do to make designs 
permanently relevant, you know, because if it's, if it stays static for even 10 minutes, people will lose interest. You have to keep coming up with things. And for somebody like you, who's going to, you're going to, your artwork is going to be on display for, for a decade at least. Yeah. You have to think of like, what is something we can attach this to that's going to be ever changing? Is that, is that something that you're constantly thinking about? Uh, I can only imagine that that's an ever present concern for you. It, it is. And I think like content creation is kind of a interesting discussion, especially right now, because every the lighting is growing increasingly, increasingly more dynamic. So, you know, in the past we've done, uh, you know, some pretty significant structures and, and, and you know, like uh, one of the first color changing projects uh, I did was a peace bridge between 40 Buffalo and Fort Erie. And of course, like at the time, it was very simple cue structure. And, um, you know, one of the thoughts was like, as, as the designer of the permanent lighting system, you're kind of handing over that system to someone to operate it in a way like you're not, you know, you're not in charge of what it's going to look like every single day after you after you put it there, after you put the lights up. So you really rely on the owner operator to continually like update the queue structure, make something interesting of it. Like CN Tower is an example, whether you like it or not, it, it, you know, people have opinions of the color changing lighting on that tower, but you know, it's gotta have, it can't just do the same color wash or rainbow chase every single day. So you gotta have an, an owner operator who's gonna take over that system that that is going to do something interesting with it and keep it up to date from a content wise because honestly sometimes we deliver a project like that and it might we might have suggested six cues like six looks honestly like we're saying mm -hmm. well this is what it can do these are examples but you you need to take it from here and, and kind of like learn the system or hire people to come in and program more looks you know so that's kind of a static element now the now the viaduct project i talked about is owned by the city of toronto and no, was had no hope in hell of them ever touching it after we we let it go. So so that's why um, in that case, I mean, it was an art project as well, public art project. So an artist mm -hmm. was involved and came up with the scheme, control it with weather. But what's cool about that is that that ever change, it is always a bit different, right? And it, you know, there's no, you don't get tired of like the rainbow chase on it because it's always doing. You know, the wind, the the variables are really infinite. So so you know the content is becoming more important in these systems. So, so we're trying to think about how we adapt a little bit. And this is maybe where theater and, and the skill set of a programmer really comes on board is really thinking about meaningful content that these lighting systems will will play, will display, right? We're using mm -hmm. more video as a, as a way, like, like think of low resolution LED, right? It's like, it's like video now. So are we, are we now designing uh, and, and should be reproducing video content as lighting designers, right? So that 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 is a big part of it. And, and the forethought, I guess, you were talking about is is you need to think day one before you place any of the fixtures, before you really think about like what is it going to be an RGB, an RGBA, an RGBW, right? Like I mean, I, I just on fundamental level, how much mm -hmm. control are you going to have, right? Is it individual fixture control? or not i mean some fixtures you can linear fixtures you can control you can choose whether they're controlled by per foot or per unit right so you do, you do need to think day one like what is the content it's going to be displaying before you think anything about what kind of lights it's going to have or you know right and so we spend a lot of time just based on experience and kind of falling short at the time when they set the cues and it's like, oh shit, they're using a lot of gold and yellow. Why didn't we do RGBA? You know what I mean? It's like, you're, you gotta mm. really think about the color ranges and things like that, the color of the object you're lighting. So yeah, content's more part of our vocabulary nowadays. That's good to hear. You and I both know that if we don't push them in a certain direction, you're gonna end up with that rainbow chase, that default rainbow chase that they can just walk away from. And they can feel good about it because like, well, we bought these lights that do a rainbow chase. So we're just going to turn on the rainbow chase and show all the things that this can do in one queue. And then we're just going to let it go until it dies. You're like, no. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. That is not what we designed. That was not the intention here. You guys got to, you, you can't do that. You got to go, you got, you got color changing so that you can be relevant. You can go green on St. Patrick's day. You've got yeah. orange, you know, that's, that's why you have color changing, not, not for the rainbow chase. Yeah. Now, precisely, and now we're getting a little better where we'll develop content 
uh, say, like, you know, some sort of outline for the content. It's almost like if you were doing social media and you come up with like a social media calendar or something, right? Where you think about like what throughout the year is it going to be communicating? So now with, with clients, we do that a little more. We don't just give it to them with the keys and be like, here you go. Like we, <laughs> we, think, we think about what, how is it going to exist beyond the day we give it to them? Because once we give them the keys, it's not ours. Like, I mean, first off, it's not, we have nothing to do with it really. And second, our contract is over. So right. we, we're not being paid to help them at that point. It's so, like handing over the love. keys to a Ferrari and asking them, please yeah. try and use second, third and fourth gear. Don't be, don't leave it in first the whole time. Yeah. But, and, and our, you know, like I said, we're not being paid in, at that after that point. So we can't, as a business, we can't really get caught up in babysitting these projects once we've let them loose. It's just not, we're mm -hmm. not, you know, if you're not, you're not paid for it, you can't do it. Otherwise you won't stay in business that long. So we got to kind of let them go. But so now we let them go with a little more idea of what the content should be. So it gives them a little bit of a map moving forward. Cool. Do you find that you have to rely on your programmers to do that for you now? Because in our world, it's it's usually just either a mixture of DMX and Artnet and uh, maybe a handful of other uh, protocols. But I would imagine in your world, you have far more protocols than we do. And then you rely on a on a programmer to say, hey, I can make this as simple or as difficult as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Pro pro programmers are really, really important. And we, we, we've, we've struggled. I mean, we have a few that... that we use, we have some go-to programmers and some of them are from the theater industry. Um, okay. Uh, that, that we, we actually pull in. And I remember, you know, sometimes we were negotiating with one of the key programmers we use, um, a guy named Eric Auger. He's a significant, he tours a lot. And, and we used to like negotiate with his touring schedule to get him to program stuff using, and, and, and in some of the, those instances, we're actually like pre-programming looks and capabilities with like Grand MA or something to get like the behaviors down and get the animation okay. down and how we want it to look. And then we would like try to, we'd actually translate that into like Pharos or something or ET, which is like ETC. Interesting enough. Cause, cause uh, grand MA doesn't really have a good architectural lighting. Um, well, it's just not well represented in our world. I would say they have capabilities, okay. but it's not well enough represented that enough people understand it. So we end up using systems like Pharos a lot. It's a really prominent architectural lighting control system. But the point of that is, is yes, like the, the programming is key. Like, like, you know, getting your ideas onto the page, right? It's like, um, you know, getting your ideas onto the page. I was going to make some pencil analogy, but it was dumb. So I won't, but I, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's the most important thing. Like how we translate our ideas to that object in the end uh, is, is the most important thing. And if there's like a, if there's a bandwidth issue between like, your brain and the, and the actual programming, it becomes a huge issue right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the protocols we use are very similar, right? We use a lot of DMX, ArcNet, like you said, and there's all these other ones we're starting to see pop up like Kynet, NDI, DDP, or some other ones that are like, they actually use in Christmas lights. Okay. There's a lot of really good protocols out there for what I would say you know, budget conscious, low resolution video effects using like LED tape with individual controlled LEDs. And, and okay. we're seeing like this wide range of protocols. But in architecture proper for dimming, we use a lot of uh, a protocol called zero to 10 volt. Right. Which, which kind of theater used to use zero to 10 actually. Yeah. Some, right. For sure. No, I still have to know just enough about that one for fire ex exits and stuff for yeah. uh, emergency signals. Yeah. We still use yeah, zero to 10. Yeah, zero to ten, and then we use Dali a lot as well, which is like it, it's it's similar to DMX. You know, each fixture has an address. Um, okay, but 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 the the point is we're using a lot of like we're using more of this, less zero to ten, more Dali DMX. There's a ton of Bluetooth mesh stuff hitting the market too, where the light engines have Bluetooth LE like BLE Bluetooth low low energy. Okay. Um, and that new blue technology technology now works in mesh so that like, you know, each fixture talks to each other and kind of makes its own network. Wow. So, yeah. And that's, so it's now, it, so kind of going back to this idea of programming and content, like if every fixture is now adjustable in level, like lighting level, and now fixtures mostly come, uh, a lot of fixtures come adjustable in color temperature. Um, so you can change it from cool to warm. And, and then a lot of, a lot of pot lights, you can just select like full color mixing now as well on the cut sheet. So it does just, you know, just full blown, uh, usually sometimes like a four or five channel color mixing 
uh, protocol inside or chip inside. You know, you think about it, I, I make this analogy of like, like this, like a, you know, if, if a, if a light fixture can just adjust amplitude, right, which is intensity, frequency, which is color, you know, it's like a speaker, really. Yeah. So, so Very at similar. that point, it's the same, it's the same, it's, it needs the same input as, so what's a speaker without music? Yeah. So, so, you know, if you put all these light fixtures in a space, even if it's an office space and it's got all this adjustability, like what the heck are you giving it? Like, what are you going to program it to do? Right? Like you can't just on off. You can't just get away with that. And I think a lot of lighting designers in our world, in our end of the business, a lot are really excelling. It's those that don't understand that and don't, ex don't stand up to the challenge of programming it and coming up with like content, what it's going to do, how it's going to behave. Uh, if you're not, if you shy away from that, you're, it's, you're not going to do well in the future. You really got to like stand up to the challenge. That sounds so similar to the theatrical world. The same, the same applies. It's just where we're, it's easier for us to swap those fixtures out when, if we don't like them, we yeah. can just send 10, you know, we can send three people up to like, yeah, I don't like that one. Put, take that down, put it up, but you don't have that same luxury. No, no, not at all. We just, we have, uh, stuck with it i mean can you change it potentially but man i don't know i don't i don't I, if you start messing stuff up and swapping fixtures out and causing issues you know clients notice you know and then they don't hire you next time like you don't want lighting to be a pain in the ass even though lighting is usually a pain in the ass <laughs> <laughs> we can goal. only hope yeah it's our goal for it not to be a pain in the ass but man is it is it tough sometimes construction yeah. moves fast the products in the market are infinite nowadays so it's really difficult to kind of steer a lighting project in our world to success you know like getting the light the, the, the like getting a fixture you want on the site installed in the place you want it like is really difficult it's a very difficult process a lot of paperwork there's a lot of paperwork and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people with their hand in the pot there. A lot of, uh, a lot of spoons in the, in the soup, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of spoons in the soup. Exactly. Yeah. And you and Deborah were, were I know we're bouncing all over the place, but that's cool. Um, yeah, I think we covered that one pretty well that everybody has their say. Your, your yeah. agent has their say, the, cons the construction firm has their say, the client has their say, the manufacturer has their say. That's yeah. the logistics are mind boggling to me. Yeah, it is. And I think a lot of it is we, we, we try not to fight that system. You know, a lot of people take that stance like, you, you know, and, and there's a big movement towards design assist where contractors are involved earlier, which means they have something to do with the product selection, which I think in the classic sense annoys some designers. It's like, wait, this is my time. You know, why are you guys snipping around already? <laughs> you know, like, but but I think, you know, I, I it, you can embrace it, too. Right. We kind of mm -hmm. embrace this idea it's just because we feel like the, the way we're going to get the right product on site uh, on time and budget is if we like, you know, work together with that construction team. So in, in some ways with, with them, you know, as long as you again, embrace it, you know, and, and, and see it for the positives. I think some of these, you know, having constructors on earlier is almost like, you know, in theater, you know, you're kind of working with your electricians, right. During design a little as well, seeing like, you're thinking about, is it constructible? Is that a thing? Is that a fixture you have? Can you actually put that many lights up in that amount of time? And you're like, electrician is part of your discussion, I feel like, in design. Whereas architecture has really been in silos. Like, you do all this design, figure out what you want to do, where it's all, where it's all going to go. And then there's a point in time and you send these drawings out for tender and then they're bidding on this giant job in a matter of weeks, you know, trying to be the lowest to get the job. And then they're like, okay, how are we going to build this thing? So it's kind of cool. <laughs> and that causes huge issues, right? You know, it's just like set, it's, it's, it's designed to fail in some ways, especially as construction gets more complicated. So I, it's actually our industry is in some ways that philosophy of having like the people who do the work, spinning the wrenches, you know what I mean? Plugging the fixtures in and in, involved in the creative process is kind of a cool thing. For a theater person, oh. I, I like it. It feels like it's back to the roots a bit more. Uh, one of the things that we had discussed previously, one of the quickest and easiest crossovers, and it, in fact, uh, we even had this discussion that it's not even a crossover, is the way that you sell these shows and how you promote them. Are you using the same protocols we are, like Unreal Engine 
and different 3D visual software just to, to kind of promote your projects? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we do do a lot of rendering. Some, some firms don't, you know, like there, there's a lot to be said about Photoshop. We do a lot of Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Like, like we sell um, lighting uh, very effectively in Photoshop. You know, some of our team, we actually get together and have like Photoshop sessions where we talk about like how we paint light. It is largely a really like hand painting process. And I love doing that. I think I have less time to do it now. Um, as you kind of move into positions of running a company, you have less time to do stuff like that. But I feel, <laughs> but I love it. Like I love just like getting a, like almost like an architectural rendering or a drawing or an elevation in 2D, right? And then painting the light in. It's like a creative process. You're thinking about, as you paint it in, you're thinking about how the light is, is going to kind of like, you know, compose itself in the space. But, but I think nowadays with everything in 3D, again, instead of fighting it, this old, you know, this, this way of doing it in the past still has its place, but you really got to start advancing because now that the entire building is done in 3D, uh, you know, we use something, a technology called BIM, in modern construction, which is like building information model, really. So the whole okay. building is built in three dimension first, everything. Okay. And not just for the purpose of uh, to seeing what it looks like, actually less so. It's more to coordinate every pe- every pipe, you know, conduit, outlet, speaker, light, right? Finish, door, like it's all modeled in 3D so that we can do clash detection and see if things are going to start running into each other before we build it. So what's cool about that is now the whole building's in 3D already. So it's easy for us to extract that out and then render light on top. So we 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 use a lot of Rhino for that, which um, is a pretty powerful software. We have used WYSIWYG okay. um, before for like for doing animated effects. We used a bit of WYSIWYG when we did Niagara Falls to animate some of the lighting effects we wanted to uh, convey. But But largely we're using things like Rhino, uh, maybe, you know, 3D Studio Max is another really important one. Unreal Engine is interesting because I was doing a bit of research and, and we're always researching this stuff. And we have like a couple people on my team who kind of look at that and keep up with what's happening. And Un- Unreal Engine is interesting because now they have um, kind of like WYSIWYG, they actually you can put DMX into it. And they were Moment Factory and them did like this little, did almost like a demo. I don't know if you saw that or not online. No, I will definitely check it out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But but it it yeah, you it's actually doing lighting real time. I mean, light back to this idea of lighting. If all lighting is now really dynamic, um, you should show it in its final state, right? If you want to show it in its final state, showing what it's going to do, color changing, actually showing it animated is pretty critical. So we've always been keen on that, and, and a lot of the time, how we do it is we do different states. We'll do a 3D model in like almost like a white light state with different layers. We'll separate those layers in Photoshop. We'll put them into After Effects or Adobe Premiere, which is like a video editing software. And we'll actually mm-hmm. overlay animated lighting in uh, Premiere or something like that. So we'll, we'll essentially do it in uh, video editing software, mixture of Photoshop and video editing software. Um, and I'm sure if, I don't know if the theater industry does that a little bit for animation. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, uh, we're always looking for those, the most accurate 3d renderings of different, uh, different venues. And then we're taking whatever we can to add our trussing and lighting into them. Yeah. Just kind of laying over that and hopefully we can do it in unreal or WYSIWYG, but yeah, I've been known to resort to Photoshop myself to just throw things in there and like, no, this is what it's going to look like. And then kind of sp- spruce it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, something cool about the, you know, rendering something and seeing it's part of the creative process as well, I think. But I think it's also, it's technical too. And maybe that's why us lighting folks like it as well. It's like super technical. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely fit into that weird niche of artsy, woo-woo personality that requires a technical side and sometimes it sometimes one person can have both minds and sometimes we need an entire team to get the really creative designs that re- require exponential amounts of logistics to back us up it, it, it's a tough yeah. world to fill both niches 
It is. Yeah. And we're talking about like what makes a good, I came up with this and I put it in our, one of the emails we sent back. So I was out riding my bike and I thought of this analogy about it. Like what makes a good lighting designer period. Mm -hmm. And of course, like there's a hundred answers probably. Um, but I think, you know, back one of my original theater school teachers always said, look, it's like 60% technical, you know, and like right. 40% creative. And then as time goes on, I'm thinking, I think it's less than that. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it is creative, but I meant, I mean like that initial creative process, you're thinking about color, you're thinking about direction, like that, that part of it, um, is only a small piece of it during COVID. Uh, I started taking, um, just in the free time cause not traveling, not driving, you know, we all have a lot more free time. I started taking some vocal lessons just cause I used to love to perform and sing before I realized that, that my, my spot was behind the board. You know, I was like, forget this, my, you know, my spot's back there. But he was talking about this concept of like the mixed voice, right? Which is like what rock and roll stars have. It's like, if you think of like, you know, a rock star can get up and, uh, and sing like in head voice and then throat voice, right? It's just like this or, or chest voice, right? Deep, powerful, resonating vocal and then hit like crazy high notes and you're he's screaming in key right you know like I, mm -hmm. uh, so, so there's this idea of, of like a mixed voice which means you can transition between the two perfectly you can go from inside your chest this deep resonating sound and then up to this like screaming head voice with zero change like you just transition between the two perfectly and that's, that's what makes, you know, really, really good vocalists, like rock and roll vocalists, right? So I was thinking about that as a, like, as a relationship to lighting design. And that's like lighting designers. Like you can switch between the technical aspect of things, the most technical elements, like you can see it in your head, every wire, the cable, how it all goes together, what's possible. And then you can also shift gear, like just magically into thinking about color and direction, and, and what's going to look beautiful and what motion animation in your world, you do so much animation, like mo movement of light beams is such a big part of what you do. And we don't really have that, but you and they just switch back to technical and then into this creative aspect and then back into technical, like seamlessly. And I think that's, that's lighting design. Like that's a really important skill to have to, to switch so seamlessly between the two. So, you know, we're all rock stars. Mm -hmm. There you go some of the biggest and most grandiose designs have just fallen by the wayside because there was no either nobody available or they just couldn't figure out the logistics necessary to make it happen. Yeah. And, and uh, you've got to figure it out to some degree to yourself. I think like to, to really do some powerful work in lighting, like you've got to kind of got to know that you got to know enough about it to put the right pieces together. I think uh, as the creative, you know, the person, the creative person driving it, more so than I would, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say any, <laughs> any, you know, design uh, area of design. I think you really need to be in touch with both. Architecture is also very much like that, but architects are separated to design architects and production architects. They're separate things. So when you go into architects, you kind of choose one, uh, so to speak. And, and, and lighting design, you don't really, yeah, do both. <laughs> if, you're, if you want to be really good at it. <laughs> Yeah. One of the things that you kind of touched upon that I think is crucial in both sides of our industry is that the more responsibility you take on in the business, the less you get to do the parts that, that brought you into it. Like apparently you don't get to do much painting at all anymore, even though that's kind of part of the artistic inspiration that got you into the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing as much, you know, it's like the painting is happening with other people's hands or something, you know, like we're still involved in the creative process for sure. But yeah, you're really, you know, the other designers on the team are doing a lot of that. And of course, you're not like dictating what the design should look like anymore. You're letting them do it, right? I mm -hmm. mean, there's, there's a quality that we're looking for. There's a, some core principles behind our work, I guess, as a company that we like, I guess we foster that culturally. Mm -hmm. That's like kind of a buzzword nowadays, the culture. So the culture kind of has a certain style. But but we're not dictating it as much anymore. So yeah, but you know what, it's like anything. It's like, you get, it's like a new, it's like, for me, it's like a new career now. You know, it's like I did the lighting design thing and now I'm like, I'm like, now I'm like a business owner. You know, it's like, I don't know, just, it's a different, it's like another career change, I guess you could say it almost feels like. So I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. I wish I'd have realized how important a business degree or even just a business mindset 
would mm-hmm. benefit most any industry these days. I didn't know. I thought you. I thought we could get by with just the artsy fartsy mindset in this industry, but you can't. If, especially yeah. if you want to start your own business, there's there's yeah. taxes, there's 1099s, there's so many adulty things that I had no idea I was going to have to deal with. Yeah, tax loopholes and insurance and all that stuff. I, I didn't know. I was not aware. As long as you know those things exist and you need to do them, they're part of it. You know, there is someone that hopefully can help you do that. You know? Yeah help you file the taxes. <laughs> my accountant was listening right now. He'd be just like throwing paper in the air. Like that guy has no idea what tax, what he, what he's talking about. <laughs> when it comes to accounting, he's having an aneurysm right now. I've given him my expenses a month. Anyways. Oh my God. My CPA, she hates me. She loves and hates me. I just show up with just this pile of unorganized paperwork. And she's like, what do you, yeah. what is this? I'm like, I don't know. It's as it looks taxi to me. So do Whatever, do you need it? No, I don't need this. Get this out of here. Like, okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Exactly. So, Paul, we are almost out of time. I want to ask the the one, the the crucial question here is for anybody who's sitting at home right now and they have, they've made it as far as they can in in the theater event lighting industry, what do they need to do to their resume to kind of show that they're interested in architecture design? Mm hmm. Yeah, I, w- I would say like, like, sh- you know, it's like this idea of showing some commitment and probably there are a bunch of core, you know, there are, there's, there's uh, I think Deborah mentioned as well, you know, there's the IES, um, which is kind of our governing body, International Illuminating Engineering, whatever, IES. Okay. <laughs> it was, I'm, I don't know why, tongue tied, but International Illuminating Engineering Society, Google it, you'll find it. But they okay. have um, a bunch of really cool education programs. Like, like you can get on there and do like the fundamentals of lighting. So I think, you know, like, it, it, it does become a little cumbersome if you have to train the person the basics. Actually, one of my designers, Joseph, came to me and asked about conversion, and he was fresh. And I'd said, you know, man, go work for a manufacturer for a bit. Like, there's, I think, lots of opportunity in that field. Okay. Uh, to train as a in, in and understand, you know, fundamentals of light by actually working with a manufacturer in the architectural world. It just broadens your job opportunities out, right? So you're not thinking, oh, I need to be a lighting, work at a lighting design firm right away. It's a, there's not a lot of lighting design firms. Uh, I, I do think it is a, a growing industry. So there is some, there is growth in it. So it's, it's um, I think there's a lot of prospects in the future as lighting designers become more important on projects, as we understand better the importance of light in spaces, especially when it comes to health and things like that. So it's a growing industry and, and, and I think there'll be more firms popping up, but you don't have to become a lighting designer uh, right out of the gate. I, I mean, you know, get some education and, and, and show, put something on your resume that shows that you have some training in it. Take a job at a manufacturer if you want to, or with a sales agency, even if you have connections in that, you might have connections in sales areas because um, some reps might rep theatrical lights, right? So you might actually have a network of people where they actually have reps in our side of the world. So, so get in any way you can get in that door. Don't, you know, any way you can. And then, and then, uh, you know, you have something on the resume. Cause I feel, I feel like most architectural lighting design firms, especially you're kind of coming into something that's, you know, we're moving fast and we want someone who at least understands the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So having any kind of experience, don't be, you know, maybe not glamorous will help a lot. Yeah. I would imagine even just showing that you understand power of texture and intensity totally. and atmosphere. I would imagine that yeah. even that is a, a one leg up. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and of course, like if you feel like you got enough and you, you understand a lot of stuff you've been talking about and you get it, maybe you've dabbled like you have Chris in architecture enough, uh, then just throw it in, throw the resume and you never know. Honestly, like if we're taking an in- interior designer uh, graduate and training them, I mean, we have as much or, or more work to do uh, as, a, as a firm to train you up to a lighting designer that can take on, take on projects. So, I've had the pleasure of talking to quite a few architectural designers and sadly, a lot of my friends on the, in the gathering and the stage lighting, there's just nothing going on. But for a lot of the people in the architectural world, they, I'll reach out to them with the, the, the same condolences. And they're like, yeah, thanks for the condolences, but nothing's changed for us. You know, these projects were booked two years out so they're, yeah. we're still moving forward with these these projects, and yeah, the the world is shut down to some degree, but you know we, we just can't stop on these projects because they're already paid for. They're, the contracts are already inked, 
everything's already been set for set in motion so long ago that there, there is no turning back. Yeah. I mean, so, sometimes a lot, we still do a ton of office space. We're designing office space. You actually, we renovated and designed an entire renovated and built an entire office during COVID and, and I, we've never actually worked in it. <laughs> it's brand new. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like sitting there right now, maybe four people in it. <laughs> it holds a hundred <laughs> brand new. Yeah. It's funny, cool. but, but you know what? It's, it's kind of like, I think, I think people want to go back to offices. So I think a lot of the people looking at that are thinking, okay, office will be different though. It will be a different environment, less about having a desk for every person. Maybe, maybe they'll shrink their footprint a bit. Maybe the space becomes all about amenities. But the point is, like you said, yeah, a lot, this industry hasn't really slowed. It's, it's kind of kept a pace, uh, during, during the pandemic. I mean, it's sure it has slowed a, a, a certain amount, but mm -hmm. not, not the same as entertainment. And I, I just, uh, yeah, exactly. My heart goes out to that industry. Huge. Cause I just, uh, I just can't, I couldn't imagine myself anyways. But hey, right it's like on. you man, you're doing something. It's like you just gotta pick up and gotta pivot. Gotta shift. You gotta do what we can, man. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time, Paul. I really appreciate it. I think I will, I will definitely make sure to put a link if anybody has any further questions. But and these are some really good nuggets of wisdom here to that if anybody is looking for a plan B, the entertainment industry is just breaking your back now. There's there's a good uh, subset of this industry that is still going along, still chugging. I'm, I will never call any industry recession proof or pandemic proof anymore. You know, I used to think that we were pandemic proof, but you know, we need to have options. We need to diversify and architecture is not, as I think as we've discussed today, it's not even a, a conversion. It's just a, at all. we're just, we're, we're walking side by side. Not even a different set of tools sometimes, you know? It's yeah. Very transferable. And I think it's a cool, it's needed like high quality uh, designers that talk about that, you know, that real talent, technical, creative and are needed in this industry for sure. Yeah. It'll help us give us all the tools we can to avoid those rainbow chases on every building in town. Yeah, got, exactly. The more people out there that understand that lights have that <laughs> behavior and that's part of like the design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Paul. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thanks. A lot of fun.